0: I grew up just riddled with fear, and I always wanted to go that fearless route, you know? Um, And I found over time, it's just not a possibility, and and actually uh, learned that fear is a tool. Fear stops us from achieving our true greatness. Are you a professional woman who is feeling stuck, unmotivated or burned out? Are you worried about your wellness? Are you letting fear stop you from crushing your goals? If you answered yes,
1: Did you know that I'm on YouTube as well? You can find me at Charmaine Gregory MD. See you there. There. Hello, 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 Fearless Freedom family. This is Dr. G and we are back for another episode of Fearless Freedom with Dr. G. Today, we have Dana Coles and he is going to be telling us all about what he's up to and all about his journey. Take it away, Dana.
0: Well, thanks for having me. So yeah, I'm a uh, board certified emergency room physician. I've been working in the greater Orlando area. Uh, I've been working for about 16, 17 years now. And so um, I've been kind of branching out in my field a little bit and went from purely working clinically in the emergency department to now branching out into some public speaking and teaching and basing that around my philosophy background.
1: Awesome. 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 Yeah. So I love that. Um, I love that we are both in EM. And it's so funny that you're in Orlando. I wonder, we may have some common um colleagues. I'm not sure if you I are imagine in the same group. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We may even talk offline about that. But um yeah, yeah. So tell us like, so what what happened? What was the pivot point? What was the the deal that got you, you know, kind of basically uh, expanding your your repertoire beyond just the emergency department
0: well i think it's about time you know and i've been working solid so a lot of the uh, er physicians are working 12 to 13 shifts a month i've always done quite a bit more uh, my father was a dairy farmer and always taught me that a change is better than a rest and the one thing that I've brought to the table, I think in my lifetime has been work ethic. Uh, so I generally put in a ton and sometimes that comes to detriment of a lot of other things. So, you know, I try to make that work-life balance a little bit more, you know, but of course, when you work hard and play hard and things like that, then, you know, there's always a reason to pick up another shift or what you have to do. So.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's cool. And so um, do you feel like you diversifying things has had any impact on your
0: practice of medicine? I think quite quite a bit, uh, especially getting out into the speaking forums. It's really refined the way that I present things or what I deliver uh, when I deliver it. Um, I've found throughout my career that different things that I've gotten into, I can always bring it back to emergency medicine. You know, and I've actually done a couple of just quasi papers. And one of the things that I did when I was in medical school is I started learning how to fly airplanes in my first year. And so I was, my thesis getting into residency was the similarities between working in an emergency room and flying an airplane. Oh, nice. And, yeah. <laughs> and the first thing is always cockpit control, right? You got to stay ahead of things because you can get overwhelmed by the tedium of the tasks and as you have more and more to do and you start getting behind and you're catching up you miss the important details so if you're always two to three steps ahead with a little bit of anticipation then you can find that it's easier to manage a huge workload and you always have to find that periphery around you and just the same way there's a basic eight in flying where you have Certain instruments that give you your basic information. Same thing works in emergency medicine with vital signs, and vital signs are vital. You know, that's and right. Getting <laughs> down to your basics of the ABCs.
1: Right. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. And um, how I'm, I'm asking pretty much all colleagues this question, but like, you know, how did this past uh, situation here affect your practice?
0: Oh, well, the past situation with COVID. Yeah yeah so it, it was interesting to me because initially i thought it was a, a joke or a bad story because you know we, we all know what coronavirus is and yeah, you know it, it's, it's a cold. been around <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a cold. There, there's nothing more to it than that so when they said oh there's a dead, deadly contagious cold and uh, it's like okay what, what does that mean exactly And, you know, then when we start seeing the evidence of it, and initially when we started out, we didn't have tests, we didn't have, you know, so you just say, well, we've got it. And I think, you know, part of the issue was uh, the fact that we had to figure out how much it was going to affect us. We all know how to use PPE. We all know how to deal with infectious disease. But this one seems to be aggressive even beyond that. And the question is, are we going to get it? Where are we going to get it? Who's actually carrying it? Mm-hmm. Who has it? Who doesn't? And I think it was a little scarier when we started doing tests on everybody that was admitted and people that were being admitted for absolutely nothing to do. with yes. fever, chills, like appendicitis
1: in a right. child.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and it was coming up positive. And you say, oh, my yeah. goodness, like, you know, there's yeah. a lot more people walking around with this than we could ever think. And I think the hardest part was, you know, if you don't know how you're going to get it, And it was actually, my mother was a nurse and, you know, she masked up and she did everything and, and she wouldn't leave the house. She only left the house to clean the church and that church was empty. And so she got sick and she was getting the cough and the congestion and the serious fatigue. She goes, I I can't even walk more than, you know, 20 feet without just getting wiped out. And I get a full night's rest and then. Uh, You know, I get up and walk to the refrigerator and all of a sudden I'm wiped out again. I said, Well, you've got covid. She said, no, it's impossible. It's impossible because I didn't go out. I didn't get anything. I just I got a flu or something, but it's not covid. Okay, but it's covid. You know, so she got sicker, uh, finally convinced her to go down and get checked out. And it's covid, you know. But the weird part about it is my father, who's got more medical problems, you know, was staying at the house with her, never got it. know always tested negative and and my younger brother was living at the house too never got it you know so if we can catch it so easily you know and so one of the factors of that is living with that kind of fear every single day uh i got to the point and a lot of our colleagues did too let's just get it over with let's get it you know just strip off the mask and get it from the first person that you know is positive, right? And, and whatever is going to happen is going to happen because I just don't want to yeah. live with the anticipation every day. And uh, I think the hardest part was getting home to the kids, you know, and the kids yeah. want to hug you yeah. and you have to push yeah. them away and say, no, 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 not until I shower, not until, you know, so I kind of had a standing agreement with my wife to either shower at work and have a change of clothes and a run and jump bag or, you know, be louse in the garage before you come into the house, but just whatever you do, don't bring it into this sanctity, you know?
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I I was going to say that I had
1: forgotten about that. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it was like that for a while.
0: All right. And with the fear part of it, uh, the the there's a local testing site near us in deltona that did a lot of the testing for the vaccine so i had found out about that and actually jumped down to uh get enrolled in it my wife and i did that so oh, you know yeah. we, uh, awesome thank yeah. you for
1: doing that that's oh, great oh
0: absolutely it's a, it it came to that step of you know if somebody said why did you do it you know it was just getting frustrated and tired of dealing with it day in and day out so it was like yes. you know whatever you yes. can do to just get it over with you know and, uh, actually, it was, you know, was becoming a recruiter to try to get everybody else signed up too. Oh. you know, if you're tired of it, let's get this over with. Like, let's, let's not do this anymore.
1: Oh, that's great. No, no. Yeah. I totally forgot about that whole thing. Cause like there was a routine, there was like this really long routine that happened. Like once I got to the hospital, like, cause I would wear, close to the hospital, then you'd like scrub everything and then you would like put on the hospital scrubs and then you would change out of hospital scrubs, scrub up everything again, including shoes before getting into the car. You know, like I totally forgot about all of that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That was, um, I think that was, I think I blocked it out because it was, it was really getting to me after a while. Cause we did that for a good, like seven months, right yeah, before absolutely. the vaccine came out yeah so like seven eight months I mean that's that's a lot That's a lot uh, mm. to, to deal with uh, interesting sure. interesting <laughs> yeah 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 no there's um I love that you bring that fear up because that is a fear that we really did have right because it was like at the very beginning it was nobody was really wearing like I, I never used to wear a mask to see my patients right so You know, you're going into all the rooms, you're going into maybe the ones where there's maybe some respiratory concern with a mask, maybe, but that was never really a thing. And so you're, you're in your patient's faces, you know, they're opening their mouths and you're looking in their mouth. I mean, I guess all this stuff and I'm like, wow, like, that's just nuts. I'm surprised that we didn't have it it like worse, you know?
0: Yeah. And it was strange, the number of things that changed significantly because you know, I'd, I actually had an uncle who passed away from HIV and, and he talked oh. to me a lot about, you know, what it was like. And he even did a lecture in my medical school class of what it's like to be a patient from that side. You know, when you kind of die that spiritual death before, um, you know, and, and this is even in the time frame where everybody knew how to catch it or, you know, what your risk factors are and things like that. Gotcha. Oh, and, okay. and he said, you know, it, it, he would go into the hospitals, And the second they read that on his chart, all of a sudden, the gloves came on.
1: Treat him differently. Right. And so he's like, I didn't
0: actually have physical contact with people for at least a couple of years, you know, because any of his friends uh, that knew him didn't want to come up and give him a hug or, you know, they they wouldn't even do the fist bump or, you know, handshake. Oh, man. Yeah, he said, there's always just that subconscious, they know something's with you. And, and so he's actually like, you know, I would limit the number of people that I would tell just because, right, right. you know, the, he didn't want that stigma, you know, and uh, that always stuck with me. And, and so for me, it was always important when I greeted each of my patients to shake their hand, you know, and to mm-hmm. make sure that, and I always did the foam handshake, you know, you'd kind of foam up mm-hmm. and then Shake their mm-hmm. hand with the phone still mm-hmm. in your hand. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> um, and they, uh, they, that had to stop immediately, right? Like all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. And the funny thing is that I sat there and said, you know, it, it didn't make any sense to me in the beginning because they they started, remember the elbow bump? Yes. Right? And everybody would come up and do the elbow bump. Yeah. And I was like, that to me is way worse, right? Way yeah. Because they're not
1: cleaning your elbow.
0: At least you know the hands are clean. And they would tell you if you sneeze, right? Sneeze. And they're not washing this up. And then they're like, no, absolutely not. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Wow. And so, yeah, a lot of those things changed. And then in the beginning, I remember, you know, the hospitals uh, would be telling us don't wear masks. You know, don't wear them into the rooms unless you have to because, you know, the, the perception that it's giving out to the public, you know, that we're afraid or, you know, these kind of things are happening and stuff like that. So, you know, it was interesting because, and and initially, and this was before COVID was even really hitting. And I remember, you know, um, some people were getting the modified scuba masks and things like this that they wear, you know, or like a papper or, you know, um, and and so they would bring them in and, and, you know, they wanted it kind of squashed in the beginning. And, And then when it, started fully hitting, the mask mandates came out really quick, you know, and and things kind of changed. And and the number of things that we had to look at, because I also went down to a field hospital in Fort Lauderdale, and they were telling me that um, in Miami, where they were getting really hammered, a lot of the employees were getting them. And it was because they weren't adequately identifying people when they got into the hospital. So when they would come in, they would check in, and they would kind of write onto the chart or some area there, and then that chart was passed from the registration person over to the provider. And that chart being contaminated okay. is kind of where they were getting. So even though they were wearing full PPE and doing things like oh, that, they would get sick from these cross okay. contaminations, you know, or, um, and, you know, the vast majority of people that actually got sick, uh, were doing it because of interactions outside of work, you know, Absolutely. just different get togethers, <laughs>
1: going to parties
0: <laughs> or just family, you know, family, oh, yeah. home, you were more susceptible to them than you're. I always found that interesting my career especially when I did the peds rotations you know in school I could always you know go through and and deal with any illness that was there never got sick and the second my yeah. kids did I went down oh yeah far. yeah 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 <laughs> Yeah,
1: they're harbingers harbingers of like germs that's
0: yeah, that's exactly. what they're they're
1: so cute though but they really are they <laughs> really are harbingers yeah oh my gosh yeah no that's so true that is so true wow yeah, no, it's, it's 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 incredible. I mean, it's it's just like it is a once in a lifetime thing and I'm glad that it's once in a lifetime. I mean, I I don't really ever want to deal with that again. Uh to be <laughs> honest with you, like I don't think anybody does. Nobody does. Right. Like inside medicine, outside medicine, I don't think anybody ever wants to deal with this again. Well, like I we're we're, we're actually we're wanting to get out of it already or like it's not even done and we're
0: like <laughs> I joked around about this because of what our kids are going to be able to say, you know, because back when like my parents would tell me about the, you know, having to walk uphill both ways in the snow, barefoot, you know, going to school (laughs) and we had our hardships and, you know, they had nuclear air raids and things where they had to get underneath the desks, and like that was going to save them. And, and then, uh, you know, the, generation right before us. And then, you know, the generation after us now is going to be saying, Yeah, we had to go to school during this deadly virus. And, yes. And I was like, our generation, man, when we went to school, we had cool cartoons. That's all I can say. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Indeed. Indeed. I-, I, can tell, I can tell I could tell we're
1: in the same generation.
0: Yeah. Because I mean that's yeah, that's, we that's what we're talking about well. when we
1: went to school too. it's was like, what <laughs> cartoons do you watch yesterday or whatever, or last night? Exactly. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's quite a, quite a different narrative. That's so true. Wow. (laughs) Wowzer. Hey, it's Dr. G. And I just wanted to take a quick moment to thank you for listening to this episode. I'm so honored to have you here with me. Did you know that I can help you to get your own podcast started? With my podcasting launch course for professionals, I walk you through everything you need to know about starting a podcast. I'm with you every step of the way from sign up to launching your show with five episodes ready to go. There's a done for you version that's also available if you would just rather So that's, um, so that's interesting. That's a good segue into um, what propelled you to start speaking in public, right? So tell us about that. How did I get going?
0: Well, basically it's, uh, I like to teach and, you know, teaching in medicine uh, can be political, um, you know, and you have to really restructure your job and uh, the things that you have to do. And I don't know that I necessarily want to go that route, although I would leave it open. Um, but you know uh, I've got a lot of drive and compulsion to kind of look at things from perspective. And you know when I was in, when I was an undergraduate, I got interested in philosophy. I was uh, went to St. John's University and I had a professor. Oh, in, in New York. In New York, yeah, uh, nice. Green, I know so. where
1: St. John's is. Yeah, <laughs> red and white, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. And that's uh, <laughs> I went there right when they changed from the Red man to the Red Storm. You know, oh, which neat. I always thought was interesting because, you know, they said it was that they were changing the name because of uh, cultural issues. But the red men were named the red men because they wore red uniforms. Right. You know, they were a Catholic school that wore the red and white Catholic colors. So I was like, that. Was, mm. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, yeah. um, they changed it <laughs> to the red storm. And I had a philosophy class and the teacher came in and he was talking and he goes, uh, do you believe in the Bible? And this kid uh, says yeah and he goes you're an idiot and he went through for like an hour on why it's the worst thing in the world it's modern mythology it's desperate people reaching out grasping at straws there's nothing that can be factually based there's you know and he went through like proofs you know on this to prove that it absolutely is the worst book in the world you know and it was monday wednesday friday class wednesday i come back and he goes do you believe in the bible and this kid goes well of course not you know different kid And he goes you're an idiot and he he went through for an hour on why it's the best document ever written you know how it's so factually based and and how it's the you know the one document that you can go to that has solid answers you know that are applicable to just about any situation and then he went through a bunch of proofs on it and things and I was like I am all in you know (laughs) so you know when you can look at things from like different angles and things so um, you know, and it was an interesting class, but it kind of drove on to uh, more topics, and there's a lot of things that people see and understand now that just really aren't true, you know, and so that's a lot of what I like to teach about. Um, oh, some examples of that are, you know, if I ask people what they want out of life, uh, they always tell me the same lie, uh, you know, I want happiness, you know, and if I ask somebody before 1930, what do you want out of life, they would say, I want long life health and I want, uh, you know, success. Mm -hmm. And so the two things that people really want in life are uh, security and affirmation. You know, the things that you find attractive in somebody or that they can protect you or they can provide or they can, you know, be a good solid structure with you. Um, And then, you know, the affirmation, like if you're a hard worker and you come home and your spouse, all you do is say, hey, what's up? Yeah, they're gone. You know, they won't stick around. And every time in situations in emergency rooms, we see it, people will 100% of time uh, sacrifice happiness for uh, security or affirmation. Right. So if I tell somebody, uh, hey, there's cancer, well, they'll readily go take chemotherapy, not because they want happiness, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that all changed in history because uh, back with mental illness, you know, people would, be looked at as scourged by God, you know, or they've yeah. sinned. And that's what created the mental illness. So they were put in pestilence houses, uh, along with the criminals. And along the way, they said, well, there's different houses that we can put them into and medicate them. And they called those safe houses asylums. And then they mm. went forward and, uh, you know, Freud came along and said, you can psychoanalyze them, made the id, the ego, and the superego, right? And the id is that inner child that always needs to be fed that impulse control, Mm -hmm. you know, which is the life of a drug addict. Right. And he did that because he was a drug addict and he had a cocaine problem, you know, so, um, they started making cocaine with wine and a sugar syrup. And that was your first Coca-Cola recipe, you know, and uh, yeah,
1: I keep hearing that. This is crazy.
0: (laughs) And so the marketers of Coca-Cola were ingenious, you know, because they went around and they said, we want to uh, make anything happy associated with Coke, right? So wow. go to the ballparks. And if they're going to have a ball game, I want to serve a Coca-Cola and met these two uh, guys serving hamburgers and said, why don't you mix your hamburgers with some fries and our Coca-Cola and we'll call it a Happy Meal. You oh know? my and gosh. The marketing just, and they even changed Christmas, right? Santa Claus used to wear green and then they changed. Now the- he wears red and white. Oh my Right, Coca-Cola colors and he would be holding the big Coke with it. And, you know, now he became jolly, happy, ho, 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 right? So um, in that regard, then, you know, that marketing then told everybody you can get happiness on demand on tap, which is what everybody pushes for now, you know, when actually they should be pushing for the security and affirmation. (laughs) Oh my
1: gosh. Wow. (laughs) That is like quite... The breakdown. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Wow. Yes, a jolly man wearing red and white. Wow. You know, (laughs) marketing geniuses. Marketing geniuses. Well, and it
0: changed everything too because all marketing went that way afterwards. So now you get inundated with it. Just about any product, you know. Take our product, you'll be happy. Take our product, you'll be happy. You know, and they just they pound it into you. So And then there's, you know, the aspect uh, where, you know, I'm interested in this topic too is based on the fear itself as well. It's been a compelling thing for me because I grew up just riddled with fear and I always wanted to go that fearless route, you know, Um, and I found over time, it's just not a possibility and and actually uh, learn that fear is a tool, you know, it's a tool tool. to to make sure that you pay attention. yes.
1: Yes, it is a tool. That is so true.
0: <laughs> I started doing activities to um, try to overcome a lot of the fears, like fear of heights and things like that, which is why I learned how to fly airplanes. And uh, a few months ago, I went on an acrobatic flight outside of Las Vegas. And, okay. you know, they have- So you were scary-
1: twirling the plane and everything. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> oh yes. I actually- I think I blacked out a little bit, a little bit. Oh, really? What's up? Was yeah. it on autopilot, maybe? no, no, no. no, no. There's a um, the pilot is behind you, and he's oh, pulling it. So okay. he pulled an ag turn, and he he said I didn't, but I'm pretty sure I did. <laughs> a little, a little bit. That is nuts. Yeah. So uh, wow. they have these rules, you know, that are all across the FAA, right? So you have to um, you have to show people how to Exit the airplane and how to use the seatbelts. Okay. Right? And this is why you get the safety lecture on every airplane commercially that you go into is because it's just a set rule. And every mm-hmm. they don't make a specific rule for these people and these people. It's just a rule. So anybody in an airplane has to show them how to use the um, how to use the safety straps and how to exit the airplane. So he tells me, hey, um, if there is a problem, I'm going to in your headset say bail, bail, bail. And what they have is is there's a seven point strap with this metal bolt, and you have to line each of these straps on in order. And then there's these two metal bars that come and spread out, okay, and lock the whole thing down. So he said, if there's a problem, then what I'm gonna want you to do, I'll say bail, bail, bail. I'll jettison the canopy off of the plane and you need to pull these two (laughs) levers together. It will quick release. And then you need to pull yourself up so you're standing on the seat and then step out to the right and pull your D-ring parachute. And I said, get bent, right? There's no way that uh, at less than 5,000 feet, you know, because the only reason that this is going to happen is like a wing shears off. Right. You know?
1: I'm wondering, like, how, how would you do <laughs> all I'm that stuff? I'm going to remember
0: all of this. Yeah, and all of those steps. Like, there's no
1: way. There's no yeah. way you're going to remember the steps, number one, and then actually do them in the correct order, right?
0: right? I mean, and, that's and just not not freeze in that second. And go, oh, there was that one thing, right? What did
1: he say I was supposed to do again? Like, what am I supposed <laughs> to pull the straps? Like, oh my gosh, yeah, that's nuts. That's nuts.
0: But if it did happen and you made it down safely, it's definitely Miller time, right? <laughs> yeah, indeed,
1: indeed, <laughs> our lottery ticket buying time. I'm not sure which one. Exactly. Wow, wow. Okay, that's awesome. And so when you speak, you're talking a more you're talking about fear.
0: I do. Um, Some of the talking that I do is about fear um, and anxiety, you know, utilizing it as a tool. Uh, Some of it is about the perspectives like we talked about. Um, You know, there's a few others along that line. Um, You know, another big one that uh, I've come across is that people think happiness is the opposite of depression, and it's really not. You know, the opposite of depression is purpose. And so, you know, the people that really suffer from depression the most are the ones that are feeling purposeless in their, in their situation, whatever it might be, you know, so they'll chase down happiness and do things like, you know, get involved in comedy or get involved in, you know, different things that are going to make them happy. And and it never relieves that depression aspect, you know, because mm-hmm. I think the the thought process is a little wrong there. And that's where you end up with the situations like Robin Williams and things like that. So Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty sad. Yeah, no, that's, um, that's awesome. And so who are you talking to? Are you talking to mostly groups? Are you talking to corporations? Who are you? Who are you talking well,
0: to? Just getting started right now. So, you know, I'm, I'm branched out, I think, you know, I'm going to be doing a little bit of writing, and I'm going to be doing a little bit of, you know, presenting. And so, you know, we're starting out on that. So, so far, it's been uh, whoever's interested in hearing it, you know.
1: Okay, awesome, 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 awesome. And then, is there a um, is there a a website that you want to share that they can uh, reach out to you if they're interested in having you talk to their their groups sure. or talking to? There's
0: them? a Services.
1: Okay, and then just if you could just spell Coles so that people don't go to the wrong
0: place.
1: Perfect. Awesome. Awesome. It's a good conversation. And Absolutely. so, um, you know, I, uh, we have a tradition on the show okay. and it is fill the blanks. And so, right. you know, are you ready? Dr. Cole, you ready? Okay. Fantastic. <laughs> All right. So the first one is if I am fearless, I will.
0: If I was fearless, I would go to space. That'd be the first step.
1: Okay, all right. Yeah, it is kind of like, you know, if something happens out there, you're you're on your own. <laughs> just, no. no one come they... res- Nobody coming to rescue you, you know, that's it. <laughs> uh, I've always been
0: enthralled with it, too, but the problem that I have, and, and you'll relate to this, you know, you, you'd enjoy the rocket ride, you'd get up there, you know, and then about 10 minutes later, you'd be looking around... <laughs> and saying, what now? (laughs) You know, does this have the constant motion that we need, you know?
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) That's so funny. Oh my God. All right. So the second one is to me,
0: fearless freedom means being able to utilize fear as a tool, you know, to be able to pay attention, to be able to build a structure. Um, the best way to conquer that, in my opinion, is to make a plan and then trust that plan. So just the same way as we deal with MCIs, the same way we deal with, you know, COVID and things like that is to make sure that you have a well-established plan and then deal with that. I think um, the two things that cause the most fear are staying still, you know, and the second one is, is that feeling of helplessness. You know, and that's kind of what I felt when I was young that I never ever wanted to feel again. So um, you need to build that plan and structure to be able to f- get rid of that helpless feeling.
1: Mm. Yeah, that was a g- great points. Absolutely. And then, last but not least, my battle cry is:
0: Let's go, keep moving. Let
1: Let's go, <laughs> keep moving. I love it. Love it. Oh, thank you so much. Dr.
0: Cole, thanks for being
1: on the show and sharing. Oh my gosh, you dropped some nuggets today, my friend.